my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding, and hopefully yours, of all things plant-centric. And this week's no different. In this episode, I'll be exploring the world of hunt sabbing or hunt saboteuring, as uh, as is your want. Uh, and I'll be doing this through a conversation with the Reading Hunt Saboteurs, uh, a a group in West Berkshire, uh, who aim to disrupt uh, ultimately illegal activities uh, that are carried out uh, by local hunting groups, uh, who who you know are still. Uh, alleged to be practicing fox hunting, uh, which was uh, uh, outlawed, as you'll hear, uh, in the UK in 2005. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the conversation and find out a little more, just as I did, uh, with Reading Hunt Saboteurs. So... To get us started, it'd be good to get a kind of a flavour for where, you know, what, what kind of fox, hunt, fox hunting is. Where does it kind of originate from? What was the kind of original purpose or intent of it? So fox hunting in the UK um, is a long-standing tradition and it's, yeah, it's been around a long time. And it's basically the pursuit of a fox um, by people on horseback and with hounds and the hounds will seek seek out the scent of a fox they will follow the fox until they're so exhausted that they can no longer escape um and they will kill the fox they'll rip the fox to pieces basically and did this kind of sounds like a naive question again and obviously like we've already talked about like the word kind of sport and inverted commas did this start as any kind of form of like i admit that this would be a spurious reason anyway but as as a kind of um a form of pest control or, you know, what was the, was there, was there that kind of intent built into it at the beginning? That's interesting. I know that today it's still seen as pest control and that's the reason I think a lot of farmers um, allow hunt on the land. It's seen as pest control. I'm not sure whether it actually started. I believe so because um, you had so many of the the British Empire out around the world hunting exotic and fantastic beasts and bringing pelts home and skins and and whatnot. And back here we had wolves, which were long extinct and things similar to that. And and foxes, the last vicious beast that needs to be eradicated, basically. And And they're just doing that for fun at this point. I think they even introduced like foxes into Australia um, Mm -hmm. so that they could hunt them. Yeah, I my feeling is that that's something that they use as a sort of an excuse that maybe would try yeah. and get people around to their idea of doing it, yeah. um, but not really the reason that they, they do it. They enjoy doing it. Yeah, sure. You know? That's certainly a kind of, um, you know, coming at it from like a, you know, from what I heard perhaps before I'd kind of got into the world of veganism, that it was kind of... Um, not a not a nece- not even a necessary evil. There was definitely always an element of sport to it, but it was kind of like uh, a wonderful byproduct of it is is we get to protect uh, kind of essentially animal agriculture. Actually, when you think when we think about it, it's like you know it's going to save all these like poor chickens that are getting kind of 
killed by these foxes, you know, these in their sort of like um, with their kind of unnatural behaviour of like <laughs> looking mm-hmm. for food. Um, so, yeah, that's what, why I kind of ask. I wonder if that's sort of still a perception that sort of exists within the, the kind of mainstream. It is from their point of view, that will be a reason that they'll use to justify them continuing to try and kill foxes. Yeah. 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 yeah and I think the excuse, you know, by farmers you mentioned chickens, Um, anyone that practices good farming will be able to securely keep their animals without having to worry about a rogue fox breaking in and and killing them. You know, it's it's made into a bigger thing than it is. It's definitely exaggerated to try and get the point across. Yeah. And and where where do we stand with fox hunting legally? Again, I think it's good to kind of set the scene, if you like. It was uh, made illegal like 2005 so it's the hunting act um so this was the banning of um chasing down foxes deer mink i think hare as well um with dogs um so they kind of like invented this new thing called trail hunting which mimics like the traditional hunting method of following a scent trail um the hunters have told us that the scent is actually fox urine and they place this in places where they know that foxes will be and they also don't tell the um people on the hunt where this is so it's not like they can you know they'll they'll use that as an excuse to actually kill foxes because it's like a loophole in that they can say like oh well it was an accident um you know yeah, definitely. I was going to ask actually about the, you know, with the the sort of the defence, if you like, uh, you know, from a from a legal point of view, like if because you know I've I've seen you guys have seen firsthand, but I've certainly seen lots of footage of you know fox kills, um, and the, I guess the uh, the dis the description kind of given the the mitigation given was you know it was, a, it was an accident kind of thing mm-hmm. and so that sort of speaks to that idea so so i, I didn't know that so, so trail hunting specifically is still using a fox scent yeah yeah okay. whereas drag hunting's it's different they use a artificial animal based scent okay. yeah. and they know where the trail is so if hounds right. um are seen to be wandering away from the trail and um, they can be called back easily so again that's another thing that trail hunters can do is oh we didn't know that that's not where the trail was so it, it was an accident you know yeah. In in your guys' experience, is there, have you seen any kind of legitimate, like, I, th- I know that sort of sounds, sounds a bit <laughs> of a crazy word to use, given what you guys have seen and, and mm-hmm. kind of on a, on a kind of weekly basis, but is, have you seen any kind of legitimate trail hunting or is there kind of always that intent of almost um, deliberate confusion? Yeah, I mean, there's been, I, when we've been out with, sorry, um, Sabbing sorry union of I've seen the odd runner with right. who is who has got trail hunting trail layer sorry on the back of their clothing um it's a funny one because on that particular time that I'm talking about the hunt never came through where that trail layer was running so right. to me it's almost a kind of distraction or a way of saying oh we have a trail layer you'll see yeah. that there's one out but it's not that they're following them and another um, time that I can think of is when we actually 
did come across a, a fox that was mauled by Surrey Union. Just ahead of where the hunt had stopped, up the bank, was a trail layer. Now, that struck me as weird because they're less than like five, 500 yards away. Why would you be, surely you'd be following the trail layer the whole way. You know, usually you would lay it well before so that you could actually right. run off and, and find it. So I thought that, that was really strange that they were there. And then we actually discovered that this fox had just, prior to us arriving, had been torn apart. And so to me, that sort of says, oh, we know that we've killed, so let's lay a trail right. so that we can claim we were following a trail and yeah. it was an accident. Is that fairly typical in your experience that there's kind of almost like evidence lay, you know, in mm. the counter? There's kind of always mm. a trail layer mm. so that there's, there's kind of a, you know, mitigation. I think it's actually quite rare that we ever actually see a trail layer. We've only really? actually seen mm. them maybe a handful of times, if that, three times or something, I think, in my own experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say a lot of um, sad brutes say that it's rare that they see a trail layer. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. And then hounds will like run across roads or railway tracks and get killed. And then they're like, well, why would the trail layer lay a trail across a road or across yeah. rail tracks yeah. yeah you know it's 100%. just yeah no that, exactly <clears throat> and and i suppose that that surely it's it's incredibly difficult to keep control of of dogs when their instinct is and they, they're trained to i guess like chase these scents and you're going through rural areas so even if there was were a trail I can imagine there's a fairly, fairly strong argument to say that it's against their instinct to kind of like, well, we'll ignore that one because that that probably smells like a real fox. Yeah. We'll, go, we'll go over here. Like, so sh- surely there's almost the premise of, of, of any kind of like traveling through the, through kind of countryside and woodland with a pack of dogs is going to result in some kind of yeah trauma to the wildlife yeah and i think i think they know that and that again is the difference between drag hunting and trail hunting mm. you know drag hunting takes place in places where there aren't you know there isn't the risk of accidents happening to wildlife whereas trail hunting happens in exactly the same places that they were traditionally hunting mm. before the ban they know that there's a risk and they want to they want to keep hunting otherwise they would have disbanded and they would have joined drag hunts mm. and i i think also um, with like drag hunting, the hounds are trained to, um, you know, go with this artificial scent. Whereas with foxhounds during a trail uh, hunt, you know, when they're like when they've been bred and they're being taught how to like follow this scent, they'll take them out and like teach them that this is the scent that you need to follow. If it's a fox scent then they're obviously, how are they going to stop them from, you know? It's yeah. just, yeah, yeah, such a huge difference between the two. So from a from a legal standpoint, this, you know, going back to, what, 2005, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's illegal, mm-hmm. right? But but we're still, you know, we're, what are we, like 15 years later, yeah. and you guys are still, you know, having to do the, the work that you do. So has there been, has there been any kind of, decrease or adherence to that ban from what you guys have seen and appreciate that is in the microcosm of of your you know local area um or 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 do you not do you not really see that it's made any real substantive substantive difference to um 
to kind of fox hunting as it were in you know I think that um it's definitely like affected the amount of people that will go out on a hunt so people will spend like thousands of pounds to go like for a membership to go out with a hunt and if they go out and you know they can't actually get down to any hunting because sabs are constantly you know stopping them from doing that they're gonna like cancel their membership and so the hunt then lose thousands of pounds and the more people that do that you know at the end of the year I think the huntsman has to like basically pay the debts of the club so like it's that in that way that's like a really good way to like you know eventually they'll have no money yeah. How are they going to c- continue on? It's constantly going to be like yeah. them bailing them out, you know? Like how sustainable is that? Are you guys seeing that year on year then? So are you seeing this kind of decline in numbers taking part? Yeah, I mean, I think it does depend on the hunt. Yeah, um, there are some hunts that we sab that have a lot of a lot of support and some that seem to be dwindling. Mm. And there are some hunts that have closed yeah, in recent years. They have years. shut down, yeah. So they've folded. So, you know, it's, it's great. It shows it's working. Um, but, you know, they're, they're still killing. So I guess, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's, it's still happening. I think, like, it's, um, like, really obvious that the public are against it as well, because I think it's, like, 85% of the public are against, you know, fox hunting and w- want it to remain illegal yeah. and want the sort of, like, you know, the loopholes to be closed up and for the hunting act to be strengthened. Um, so I think that that shows how like we've progressed, I guess, in society because, you know, long ago when it was first, you know, a tradition, it was like majority of people, I guess, were for it or whatever, but, um, I guess times have changed. And so, yeah, people, more people are against it. I think the hunt are getting very desperate and which is why like the, like the aggression from them has increased and their desperation really? to want to try and kill a fox because they know that their their days are numbered. Yeah, mm. that's yeah. true. And I think <clears throat> the eighty five percent are supporting us, but the fifteen percent that aren't, maybe ten percent of that are staunch supporters of the hunt, and, and they're, they're getting more vile and more aggressive. They and, are, and they're powerful people. You know, they have a powerful place in society. You know, they're from rich backgrounds. They've got friends in high places so even if they are the minority they hold a lot of power Um, and I think that's actually where we struggle you know people aren't getting prosecuted for breaking the law and that's kind of why we have to we have to be out there and make sure we document everything stop everything we can because we don't have the support of the law. I'd love to explore this bit about this 85% because Mm. that's definitely my sense not having Mm. you know sort of um taken part in in kind of hunt saboteuring um being kind of involved in the the sort of the the vegan community if if you can describe it as as that in sort of broad strokes um but my perception from the the general public is probably that there's a slight split and and correct me if i'm wrong here you guys probably you feel this on the front line right but there's a slight difference perhaps in people's perception of fox hunting versus their perception of hunt saboteurs um that perhaps they're more strongly against fox hunting than they are pro hunt saboteurs like from the mainstream viewpoint which i which i find kind of intriguing yeah because that that doesn't that doesn't follow logically for me 
do you guys experience that? Is that is that kind of the perception that you kind of encounter from the the general public? Or well, I appreciate you're you're probably not kind of talking like in everyday like society about uh, about hunts happening all the time. But you know, is that is that a perception that you you feel? What that people are they're against fox hunting, but also against the idea of. Yeah, I, I don't know if... Us str- running around the countryside and trying to stop it. Yeah, I don't know if uh, I'd even go as far as to say against, but sort of treat with an air of caution, scepticism. I'd almost uh, sort of lump it in with the, the general public's perception of like, it, it, this isn't the same thing, but I, I kind of have a a sense, and I might this might be misplaced, of like uh, people generally agree that like climate change is a really bad thing, right? Uh, but extinction rebellion mm. there a bit much. Yeah, got you. You know mm-hmm. that uh, animal rebellion there a bit <clears> much. <throat> like there's that kind of um, mm. sort of dichotomy going on in people's minds. Do, do you guys feel that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that um, we're very often portrayed as like these countryside thugs that you know we go out masked up because we want to go and commit crime and you know and that's obviously going to be that agenda is obviously going to be pushed by the pro hunt people and also like the meat like mainstream media they they love it because they are always going to portray things that are like you know dangerous to the sort of status quo um as being these like dangerous almost like terrorist you know organizations because it keeps them safe basically yeah i've i've definitely noticed that people don't understand necessarily why we wear masks and hide our identity and I think with the wearing of masks comes this kind of fear of like oh like who are these people and what are they doing um so I I do think they're a bit afraid they don't really understand why we do that but you know if you speak to anyone and ask them why they do that it's very much for our own safety and security we don't want them to know where we where we live where we work um because there's a real threat of violence um of losing our jobs of just generally making our lives hell so mm-hmm. but also to to point out you know terrier men also wear masks hunt support also wear, wear masks and fun, funnily enough they do that when they are being abusive so it's or when kind they're of, gonna break the law like when they're smash the vehicle windows in yeah exactly so it's kind of they do it because they are hiding the horrible things they're doing we're doing it literally just to protect ourselves you know yeah mm. yeah okay cool yeah because that that's I think that's kind of an important point for people to kind of hear because I, I definitely think that's a, a misconception mm. that sort of exists. You yeah. know, um, I, I, you know, in, in sort of preparing to chat to you guys, I was just kind of, you know, like you do, just kind of googling, watching everything that's kind of out there, and I came across this like um, BBC Three kind mm. of twenty-minute like documentary, yeah, <laughs> documentary in inverted commas, and. Um, and that was kind of the argument, almost it felt like the only argument against was like, yeah. but they're masked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we don't mm. know who they are. They yeah. must be, mm. almost they must be hiding something. There must be an agenda yeah. um, beyond yeah. kind of like stopping a fox mm-hmm. being killed. And we yeah. get confronted with that every time that we're out, don't we? Why are you wearing masks? Are you ashamed of what you're doing? Are you embarrassed? Are you going to commit a crime? are you this are you that which can get grotesque can't it some of the things they say but you hear stories of farmers who have asked the hunt to leave their land 
And a few days later, there's a vehicle burnout on their property yeah, or Chris Packham spoke out and there's a dead fox yeah. on his private property. They know who he is and they know where he lives. Yeah. And we're normal people with normal lives, with normal partners that aren't involved in such things. And we don't want foxes on our doorsteps. We don't want our doors kicked in. We don't want to lose our jobs. So we're just trying to uphold yeah. what we believe is a bit of justice um, whilst protecting ourselves and people that we love. And not everyone does wear masks. You know, some people True. are very comfortable having their identity out there. And like, that's absolutely fine as well. It just depends on your situation. From our point of view, it's just safer definitely, to not have people know where we live and work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can, I can totally relate. I can understand that. That makes, that makes sense. So, you know, given, uh, given that I, I'd love to kind of, and given the kind of, the confrontation element almost that you you guys have sort of alluded to there i kind of love to go back into your personal kind of journeys if you like um accepting what we've just talked about you know don't to be too personal but, <laughs> but just in terms of like how how you guys got into it um because like i say like uh, through this podcast i've been on a bit of a a journey into like the, the world of veganism if you like um and i would class this as a an element of that mm. uh, potentially i know there's lots of debate within that kind of like in, within the broader community about what's vegan what's not all these kind of different things but you know i, I often you know if i go to a vegan festival there's often like you know support for hunt subs mm. uh there in fact that was where i first came across you guys um so how did you guys get into it because it it would i'm just thinking like the veganuary crowd right i've been speaking to some folks who've who are kind of going through that veganuary process recently and to get from where they're at now, where it's like, so what's the difference between plant-based and veganism mm -hmm. right through to like, I, I'm prepared to go out there and face potential confrontation and conflict um, in order to protect what I believe in and protect the life of a, another sentient being. Like that can be quite a the distance, <laughs> that journey. So I'd kind of love to hear how you guys got. That's a good point. Yeah, when you yeah. put it like that, it does seem like kind <laughs> of like a big deal in a way. Well, no, it, it doesn't it, feel it, it. I think it is. Like for me, I think it's uh, you know like um, it, it is quite like deep into the like you you've you you've, you're that prepared to to put yourself in those kind of situations. And you know, I think as as humans, like some people are, I guess, but we're typically not. Um, we're not really designed for conflict. I don't think we're quite peace loving sort of well. Well, I say that uh, <laughs> individually we are. I'm not sure we are. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Collectively, <laughs> we're capable of some fairly nasty <clears throat> things <clears throat> and work culture, etc. But uh, but individually, generally, people don't enjoy conflict. So I'd love to kind of hear how, like a bit of like your your kind of stories without being too revealing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's worth saying that we've all known each other. For a fairly long time, and um, five. yeah, me and you, Splodge, yeah. have known each other for about five years, and actually both started our activism journey together, pretty much. Um, and BFG, you know, knew you for a couple years, and you were definitely around before we started Reading Hunt Sab. So I guess it's kind of a collective thing that we've decided together, but. Yeah. Um so yeah, I went vegan probably it'll be seven years next month. Um 
I went vegan. I was vegetarian on and off for like most of my life. And then um, I was eating meat again and I was like, oh, I really want to be vegetarian again. So, you know, to do this, I'm going to do some research because I know that as soon as I've done some research, I'll, you know, that will cement it. So I looked up loads of websites, read loads of stuff, read about the dairy industry, egg industry, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, well, vegetarianism isn't enough anymore. So I pretty much went vegan overnight. Um, and then maybe like must have been like a year and a half or a couple of years later, I went on my first um, Earthlings experience in London. And this was when it was still going on the um, London Underground um and yeah and then as soon as that happened that was that was it I was pretty much like well this is what I'm gonna do now so um yeah so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and then like um we like like you said we sort of started at the same time we got involved in like a local animal rights group did various different bits and pieces and then I guess like um as I looked more into like veganism and animal rights and I then started looking into like other struggles and that's when I started getting into like feminism um, and all sorts of other things and like learning more about like sort of leftist ideology and like you know now I would class myself as like an anarchist and like an anti-speciesist rather than a vegan just because some of the like sort of mainstream connotations of like what veganism means now and then I started looking into more sort of direct action style types of activism and I felt like you know outreach on the streets handing out leaflets like I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere with that anymore Um, and then like a group of us happened to like meet up one time and there were some people in that group who'd been sabbing previously with like lots of other groups and we kind of just like made this decision like let's just make this group like there's a place for us in reading like um there's like local like fox hunts that aren't being sabbed like less we may as well do it and then yeah that was pretty much it really yeah my path follows quite similarly i've sort of been uh closely nipping at your heels the whole time <laughs> <laughs> but i went vegan uh, about four years ago and i actually met Splodge like very soon after that and got involved in street activism um, and I went vegan for purely ethical reasons um, I grew up being really funny about beef and milk and stuff and found a photo of myself uh, with a carton of Oatly before Oatly became cool <laughs> <laughs> I was like yes um, but yeah so it was purely ethical and then obviously you know the three things it all sort of comes around so the environment and health and stuff was became more important but um yeah, I was involved with street activism. And funnily enough, I actually find that way more mentally draining than sabbing. Um, like having to talk to people on the street, having people like literally shout in your face sometimes. Like constantly debating people. Yeah, constantly debating people and being told like, you shouldn't be showing this to my children and just loads of different stuff. I was just like, actually, that was really draining on like my mental health. So yeah, when same. we were going to go and do sabbing, like... Even though I guess in a way, like you say, there's a lot more confrontation. There isn't always, though. That's the thing. You're not always face to face with and with I think hunters, so. with the confrontation that you get like with sabbing is that you don't have to like be polite to them back. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like when you're doing street activism, you're like 
you know, you have to keep this like debate going, but you also have to like appear to be like, you know, nice. Whereas like when you're when you're sabbing, it's not so much like, oh, we need to like keep this. Yeah. You know. And yeah. when there's an angry red faced man on the back of a giant beast in your face, cracking a whip and <laughs> yeah. shouting in your face, like decorum just, just falls out of the window. You just got to give it back. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So um, like Splodger, you know, I'm massively interested in all oppressions and you know, the idea of total liberation and how things intersect. So being able to step away from the sort of street activism, which I think definitely has its place, but wasn't, necessarily my strength like I wasn't great at that kind of thing it sort of allowed me to to do things in a different way and look at things in a different way and ultimately led to like the direct action and all the other work we do for um other oppressions like you said feminism just human rights stuff in general because I think we should also think about those things um and I think unfortunately vegan has sort of it's gone to a place now where it does seem to only mean non-human animals, um, which I'm, I'm not sure I agree with. Personally. But yeah, so yeah, that's how I got to that. It's more that we've got to a place of veganism is about equality. It comes just along with understanding equality, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's just part yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so for me, I was, I spent about when I was about 10 and 11 um, on protest sites um, for Newbury Bypass, the third battle of Newbury, um, and grew to love the trees and the wildlife there. And I saw then a lot of violence, a lot of sort of police brutality and the, the sort of laws being made up as they go along. As a child, I didn't really understand it, but it was awesome and scary and overwhelming. And I saw a whole like motorways worth of trees chopped down one day and it absolutely broke my heart and I I spent all of my life thereafter sort of telling people they shouldn't be eating palm oil and this and that and the other and I was that I was that guy who was eating all the meat and then just telling everybody like just shaming people for eating palm oil and having it in their products and then one day somebody said to me you can't or I read you can't consider yourself an environmentalist and eat animals and I thought okay so I had a midweek day off and I sat there with a sausage roll and meat sausage roll and I watched mm. Cowspiracy and I was like, okay, this is what people are talking about. I had a look and I was like a little bit mind blown of like what one beef burger does and what, what, what one bit of steak costs in terms of water and the environment and what it does. And then I'd studied and at that point there's no going back, is there? Once the knowledge is in your brain, you can't just, I mean, some people can. But you can't just read that, know the stuff, and then just go back. So I went on the spot, vegan. I haven't eaten meat or dairy since. And then I was a lonely island. Uh, I didn't know any vegans. Um, I tried to turn my family and it didn't work. I needed somebody in my life. So I started looking on social media for people in the area <clears throat> and found uh, Titch. And was sort of secretly stalking the only vegan I could see in the midst. <laughs> and then one day was invited to a bit of, uh, to, uh, to a bit of activism. And I needed a lift and, and Titch offered and pulled up outside my place. And I jumped in the car and was like, by the way, I've been stalking you for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> and now I can't get rid of it. <laughs> and we became fast friends 
and was welcomed with open arms, really. And I, I thought I was, I thought I understood equality from sort of being raised by a powerful woman who taught me everything that I knew about equality and then actually had my eyes opened a lot more about feminism and an awful lot of things that actually make a lot more sense than just veganism. They come hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously running around the countryside, just that's who I was as a child. <laughs> running yeah. around the woods. I'm yeah. just doing that with my friends now. It just means that sometimes I have to film somebody doing something ridiculous with a fox, you know. I think that's actually, um, that's why I enjoy stabbing, I think, more. Because in street activism, you just kind of have to stand there and like, I don't know, you hold a placard or you hold a laptop and you talk when you kind of talk to but like with Sabbing, you, although it's kind of ruined by the fact that the hunt go through there, you do get to see the beautiful countryside, you get fresh air and exercise and that's just, well, it's right out my alley. I think <laughs> also with Sabbing is like, it's a, an instant like action and like you feel like massively rewarded from knowing that like animals have not been killed because of you that day, where it's like when you're doing street activism like you may have a conversation with someone who will be like oh yeah I'll think about it but you've not like actually stopped any like animals or anyone from being hurt or killed so it's like a totally different like much more sort of like rewarding thing to do I think yeah and that, sorry I was just gonna say that was not to say that obviously street no. activism doesn't have its place for anyone <laughs> yeah, that's listening it has its like place, it's yeah. amazing that you're doing that like definitely but yeah I understand like what Splodge is saying that, you know, there have been times when we have seen a fox run out of a woodland, formed a line, sprayed, sprayed, sprayed. The hounds come out and they've been diverted because we were there. And like that feeling is just like, oh, my God, if we weren't there, like that fox would have been ripped apart. Mm -hmm. We've seen Sabs jump into a pack of hounds yeah. that are covered in brambles and barbed wire, jump into the pack, grab a fox. Mm -hmm lifted up the thing escapes and it runs away and escapes and a sab is lacerated and covered in cuts and bruises dog slobber and all sorts and it's that that like a combined effort that we got there but that one sab physically did that with their own hands and there is a place for every type of activism and a different person is suited to different types of it but the that instant reward that splodge is talking about knowing that you did that or as a bit of teamwork that led to that, it's satisfying. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely know where you come <clears> from. Like, it is difficult to um, it, even doing this. I know, and I, like I say, I, I qualify this with um, it doesn't feel as legitimate as your no. <laughs> what you guys do. And I know, like you know, but but, but I, 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 that's kind of how I, how it sort of like it feels to me. But I definitely, you know, if you don't get that sort of, you don't see the tangible result, it can feel like is this is this mm. working like yeah. is anybody kind of like making a positive change yeah. as a result of something you do as I, I love that kind of idea of like you you come away from a day having like knowing that you've saved the life of of a of a, another being which mm. is i think must be like incredibly rewarding yeah and it's good that it's kind of measurable like you say <clears throat> like you can't measure i know that like cubes and stuff try to count the amount of people that take veganism seriously but kind of a number that you can't really verify um but obviously to add to like what you're saying that's great but you know we have horrible days as well where we see a fox get ripped apart you know and that's awful and you feel like 
did we do something wrong or, you know, did we not act as best we could for the life of that animal? Um, and so that's, you know, that's horrible. You, mm. you have to expect to have the highs and the lows sabbing for sure, because you are at some point going to see something that is going to like break your heart. So. Mm. Yeah. Was I two seconds too slow that yeah. day or did I go the yeah. wrong way? Did I give somebody the wrong directions? Information, like, yeah. it's heartbreaking those days. Mm. Yeah, I was going. I was going to ask about that. Like, obviously, we talked a little bit about confrontation, but the the psychology, the me- sort of mental steel, if you like, that's required to do what you guys do. Like, how how do you prepare yourself for that? Is that something that you kind of like? Just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, um, mm. or or is it? you know, like uh, something that has to be innate in you, uh, like the, the sort of the, the, the belief system overwhelms the fear, if you like. Uh, how, how does it kind of sit for you guys? I appreciate that quite, might be quite a personal answer uh, for each of you. I, I, I think that, yeah, the, the sort of moral obligation overwhelms, like takes over the fear. The fear is there, but it helps that we're friends. We go out and we're friends and we support each other and we know that we're safe with each other. And we know at the end of the day when it's shit, like, oh, excuse me, but when it's bad, <laughs> that we can pick each other up and we'll have a, have a soft drink and some food and just sort of try and lift each other up at the end of the day. Um, it, and I think that helps. I couldn't imagine doing it by myself with, with saps that I don't know. Like yeah. it, sometimes it needs to happen and there are some sabs that are sort of, they'll go out with anybody that they can and they're strangers and they fit in and, and, and I think they're strong, but it helps us that we're friends. Yeah. I think that we were friends before. I think that can apply to a lot of activism as well. Like having a strong support network is so key, um, especially, you know, things like vigils um, like that. I like personally feel like that's probably the most horrendous thing you can do to yourself like if you're an organizer and you're there month in month out or week in week out seeing animals arrive to a sort of house and hearing the animals and stuff like that to me is probably the worst thing um ever but um in the same way having a support network i think is really good and we do have that as a group for sure and i think it is very much um yeah the moral obligation over the fear but also i think like to be fair um, this is my second season as a hunt sab, and I'm sure there are people out there who have been doing it for years and years who have seen some truly awful stuff, um, who have had it like way worse than we have mm-hmm. yet. So we are only speaking from our kind of yeah. limited knowledge, you I do know. Feel like we're kind of baby sabs at the moment, yeah, baby like, sabs. We're still learning a lot, and like, I agree that, um, there's definitely got to be like trust there. And like trusting the people that you're with and like having that support network and like um like what you were saying with vigils as like I've been well, I've just stepped down as an organizer for a local vigil, um because after three years of like watching animals going in to be slaughtered and like like comparing it as I was saying before, like it's really rewarding and you know that you've done something, like it's the opposite thing like you're letting animals go in to die and there's literally nothing you can do about it. And that's probably like the thing that's taken its most toll, uh, taken the toll like mostly on my mental health. Um, but yeah. 
I feel like I should be more fearful when stabbing. <laughs> But yeah. I, don't, I don't know I'm what it is. I'm not aiming to make you feel. No, no. No, no. It is a really good point, and I don't know what it is, but I don't feel afraid, and I think that is partly because we are baby sabs, and this is our second season, and you know we haven't seen the worst that can happen yet. Um, so maybe that will completely change when something horrendous does happen. Um, touch wood, it doesn't. But yeah, I feel like the fear isn't there for me yet. I think it also helps that like quite a lot of us are also trained in like martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, top tip. Case. Yeah, top tip. Train. Yeah. Train. Worst case scenario, you know how to defend yourself. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah, I imagine that's quite key and makes you feel a sense yeah. of sense of comfort. I suppose that you you could defend yourself if you needed yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I, I want to pick up on a point that you mentioned um, about that B- BFG. Um, when you were talking about environmentalism and like how you were kind of like brought up in that world and felt, um, you know, deeply connected to kind of nature and, and wildlife, etc. But then w- we're kind of disconnected from the kind of vegan part for some time until it, until you weren't, if you like. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm intrigued as to, and this might be a really short answer, but I'm as intrigued as to whether there are, folks within the kind of sabbing community who perhaps haven't made the step into veganism mm-hmm. is, is that a, is that a thing because like, we talked about the kind of 85 percent of uh, you know mainstream public who against fox hunting but i would well as we know pretty much those 85 percent because there's only one percent of vegans in the country most of them still partake in the animal agriculture industry so mm-hmm. I just wonder if if that's a thing. I think out of all the subs that I've met in two years, there are two non-vegans, possibly. I think that it is common for people to join sub groups as non-vegans and then eventually go vegan because they're with people who I guess are going to, you know, help them make that connection and sort of be like, well, if you care so much about foxes, like how come you don't care about like, you know, pigs and cows or whatever else? And um, I think that like a lot of groups I know that we do, um, we would never like exclude anybody for not being vegan. Um, But we would always say that like, you know, we would ask people not to bring animal products yeah. into the sab vehicle just out of respect for everyone else and i think that that as well like they're probably going to be uh exposed to like more vegan like food and stuff and maybe things that they didn't realize that like we could eat and then like realize that you know oh maybe i could actually do this yeah um, yeah yeah I, I i kind of expected that to be the case that that there might be one or two but um i guess um it's interesting like listening to all of your kind of journeys into it reflecting back on mine i think it's uh, the kind of like compassion for people who haven't made all of those logical steps yet is probably incredibly important i think you know we've talked a little bit about that there's kind of divisive elements within within the within the vegan community and like how how helpful it is to other people or not you know i think probably almost the more compassion we can show and the more conversation we can have, probably the better. That's a bit of a statement rather than a question. But, <laughs> um, but it was kind of, it was nice to hear it's kind of reflected in, in your kind of world, right? Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, I think it's, I think it probably is mostly full of vegan people because like you say, it's a journey where you've started and you have gone through and that's kind of like, yeah, if you're really interested in the direct, direct action aspect, then you will inev- inevitably end up there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome when you don't have, um, when you have, sorry, non-vegans who are clearly very passionate, like so passionate enough to come out and do that. They're kind of the people you can talk to and, you know, open that dialogue about veganism and other animals and stuff. And normally, like, we don't get in the, in a, in a sab vehicle and say, right, who's not a vegan? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and you meet a lot of strangers and, and obviously everyone's, we're anonymous largely and it's eyes that you can see and voices <laughs> that you can hear. And, you know, sometimes you don't recognise people, you don't know people in, and, and you don't know when that vehicle is or isn't vegan. And I think a lot of us just sort of assume that most people are and we talk about it. We just talk about yeah. like what we think and what we believe just because everyone's in dialogue and having a you know, good time or a bad time and just talking about it. And these people are sort of, uh, it's, they're, they're involved and they get involved in the conversation and they're, um, it's sort of just, uh, there's a I don't know what word I'm trying to think of. This is awful, um, but it's sort of they are involved in it and they're not left out, and it's not like they don't feel like they're being preached to because we don't know. Yeah. So we're not preaching; we're just talking about our beliefs and you know just casual stuff. And I think it's easier for them to be like, actually, vegans are normal people as yeah, well. That's it, isn't they're not it? weird. Yeah. They're not extreme. They just they've just made a different connection to me, and maybe I will one day. Yeah, you know we we share our vegans. <clears throat> or I do. That's very important. Every Saturday. <laughs> I'd, talking of every Saturday, I'd love to get into kind of the practicalities of it. Mm-hmm. So for lots of people, we've talked about, you know, <clears throat> what, what false hunting is and some of the legalities and, and so on. But what's the practicality for you guys on a kind of week-by-week basis? What does it look like? It's completely dependent on, obviously, each person. Uh, the season starts in September. Yeah, you'll you'll have like cub hunting, which is like August September time, and then I think like proper hunting season starts in like October. Yeah, and goes on till about April time. So you know, you if you have the time and are able to, then you can literally go out several times a week because the hunt will go out usually several times a week, um, at least once in the week and once on the weekend. Um, but it totally depends. You know, we all work part-time or full-time uh despite what the hunt wants to say get a job um (laughs) so it definitely depends we try to at least have a couple of um the reading hunt sabs out each weekend um and at the moment we are mostly sabbing with our friends over in guildford or north downs um because we don't have our own vehicle at the moment so it's quite difficult but yeah so we try and get out every weekend and then if we can get out in the week as well but it's difficult yeah. Okay. And and so the 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 sort of the day from beginning to end, what is it? What is it? I don't want you to necessarily reveal any kind of tactics that you don't you don't want to reveal. But <laughs> like, what does the the beginning to end of the day look, look like? Kind of look like. Um. So usually we'll know where a meet a meet is. So usually, like they'll meet at a like a manor house or you know. Local pubs, local pubs and things like that. So if we've been tipped off 
that they're going to be there and what time they're going to be there, then it's easier, obviously, to um, organise ourselves. Whereas if we're just going out to try and find them, it's it's going to be like a completely different day. Mm, you start on the back foot, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of like going and checking the kennels. Have the has the hound van gone out? If it has, like, you go and check all their like well-known meat places and um yeah and then if you know where they are then it's easier to obviously just turn up and be like hi we're here now like you know and it immediately makes their day rubbish Mm -hmm. yeah it also depends how many people are out um our worst days are when we see the hunt at the meet they go off and that's it. We don't see them again for the day. You know, it, unfortunately, it happens usually if there's a small group of us because we just can't be everywhere and they get off at such speed. Um, but, you know, if there are a lot of different groups, um, they strategically will usually be on them for the rest of the day. And so it is just a case of radioing what's going on throughout the day. Yeah. yeah so and it can be different. I think usually most most of them head off at like around 11 o'clock. So if you look at like a map, you can kind of guess like oh they're probably going to go like this direction because there's like a wood up here or you know something like that and so you can also before they've even set off like do some like pre-spraying or pre-beating so you would like spray the wood so that it covers any scent or like you know make the foxes or the the animals run away so that there's nothing there for when they actually go in there and try and hunt um and then yeah we basically just follow them around all day usually there's groups of maybe like two or three and then because obviously they're on horseback (laughs) they're very very fast Mm -hmm. sometimes there's like a running group and somehow they manage to keep up with them all day I've no idea how (laughs) uh and then the rest of us will be in vehicles where um the people running or like the last person that's seen them so had eyes on them will be like oh they're heading east towards blah 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 so then the people in the vehicle will drive round to where they're <laughs> heading and then they'll come out and we'll be there and they'll be like oh and then they'll head off somewhere else and then we'll be we'll tell the next lot oh they've gone north towards whatever and then they'll go so it's a constant like mm. game of getting like to get into where they're going before they do obviously if you're you know clever and know where they're gonna go sometimes you say that and then you just don't see them again like it's difficult but um yeah uh, in an ideal world i guess want them to keep moving yeah if they're moving and they're running away they're not hunting Mm -hmm. right yeah are they kind of expecting you guys to be there now like on a weekly is it uh, i'm not expecting it to be particularly cordial but is it (laughs) is there any kind of sense of oh hey like (laughs) yeah there is a bit of that, isn't there? They there play the clown often, don't they? And that, you know, they, they'll say, hello, the Sabs are here. I'll go back to your vegan restaurant. Like there's a bit of sort of <laughs> stupid banter from them um, at first. But they even sometimes will be like, morning, like very yeah. friendly, like, hi, morning. And like some people who have been sabbing like the same hunt for like 30 years, they'll know them by name now. They'll be like, morning, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's really bizarre, but it's like a really sort of like passive aggressive thing. It's like, you know, and it's normally, unless they've got that relationship, the actual hunt themselves is is a very small group. And then they've got, as as Splodger said earlier on, a lot of people that pay membership to ride with them. And that's a much larger group and they're not used to it at all. And so 
they'll have different reactions to us, won't they? And some of them will seem a bit shocked and, uh, and you know, a, a bit sort of worried about what the situation is. Some of them will just swear at us and some will just make stupid remarks and tell us to get jobs and call us hippies and things like this. And it's just, it, it's it, the, the meat when you get there and you're just watching and, and filming, hoping that you can catch them at something illegal. It's just, it's just a bit of a weird atmosphere in the mornings, isn't it? When you get there, sometimes it's friendly, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just silent and nobody says a word. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that um, hunts like Surrey Union, where there's always sabs, like no to expect sabs, but there are hunts throughout the country that kind of are getting away with it right now that, um, you know, as we mentioned, there was kind of a, a, I guess, a need or a, a place for us to start running hunts out because there are there are local hunts which aren't you know aren't being the monitored. attention that they need yeah they're not they could be killing and they're not yeah nothing's being done so okay. it depends on the hunt i guess yeah. yeah yeah and so if if somebody wanted to kind of get involved perhaps their, their interest is is peaked like where would they start that kind of journey um, well, I'd, it depends where you're based. Um, if you're in the UK, then I'd definitely go to the Hunt Sabs Association website. They have um, a little box where you can put in your postcode nearest town and it will bring up your local Hunt Sabs. Um, or you could just go in the Facebook search and put, you know, your local town or county followed by Hunt Sabs. That's quite a good way of uh, seeing if there is a group that exists. Um, and basically just contacting them. And just saying you're interested, but I think it's so important to also be aware that because it's quite a risky thing to get involved with, that the hunt sabs might, you know, want to meet you before inviting you out initially. Um, and I guess, like, I'd just say be respectful of how they sort of conduct themselves and how they want to to meet or talk to you to get you involved. Um, yeah, for security reasons, I guess. Uh, do do you kind of have to go through any kind of training? Because I would suspect like this isn't something you could just jump into like on a random Saturday. Like I could imagine there's there's a whole uh, like protocol set of etiquettes if you like. If, if you could you could get this very wrong if you got a bit overexcited perhaps, and you know you wanted to. You know, you want to make a point. I imagine, like, mm. I, I'm thinking of, like, my analogies, like, you know, in Twilight when you get a new vampire. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you pick Twilight. I love that. I think that probably says something about what films I've been watching. <laughs> I was watching it with a young nephew. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Me too. Uh, uh, but, you know, we're, we're that kind of, like, you know, somebody's new to something. And I've, I've, you find this with, like, veganism generally. I think, you know, when if I think back to when I first became vegan, like suddenly you feel like mm-hmm. I have to tell the world in as like strongly mm-hmm. and as aggressively <laughs> a fashion as I possibly can. And um, then over the course of time, you realise perhaps that's not the most effective mm-hmm. way. Perhaps yep. there are different mm-hmm. ways to do this and you kind of learn as you go. Yep. Is there a similar sort of process do you find with sort of, you know, newly, um, newly inducted kind of hunt sabs? Well, I guess one of the reasons that we, started off going out with other groups like Guildford and North Downs is because you need to be taught how to actually sab because there's more to it than just you know running around the countryside there's lots of tactics like um, you know you can learn how to use the hunting horn um, you can get a whip and you know um, voice calls and things mm-hmm. like that Matt like reading. Matt Read reading a map reading and <laughs> 
um there's so much to it and um yeah so we've been out like a couple of seasons with them just so that we can learn the basics because there's no way that a group would be able to get together and just go out and sab not ever having sabbed before it just wouldn't work yeah um sorry um i was gonna say i think that's like another good reason to meet up with people or inviting them out is to be able to explain to them you know what it looks like to sab and also like safety measures you know don't run off on your own you could you don't know what's going to happen to you you know especially if you don't have a radio or you've never done it before you know just to go through those things and let know what to expect before you invite them out I think is key as well yeah and I think like security wise as well just about um you know remaining anonymous or like you not saying our names in front of the hunt and using sab names or like if you're stuck just shout sab and everybody turns around and looks you know and like the choice of like wearing a mask and explaining the reasons for that um yeah I think like that's probably one of the most important things about meeting up with people before going out is all that stuff because I don't I don't think people really realize like what work is needed and like what goes into it sometimes so just so that they know what to expect be honest i think yeah like a couple people have been i don't know if angry is the right word but quite i don't know annoyed that they haven't been able to come out of this yet and it's you know partly because we don't have a vehicle but also partly because i think the assumption is there that you just turn up in a car get out and and chase the hunt but it's just so much more than that and so if anyone's listening and wants to get involved you know just try and understand the reasons why Sab groups do what they do and just have a bit of patience with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of final final kind of question for you guys because time has raced away with this. <laughs> um, but but kind of what helps, support, etc. Somebody's interested, wants to kind of support you guys, but, and I'm talking specifically Reading Hunt Sabs. How sure. could they go about doing that? If people are out in the countryside and they see a hunt, um, or they hear a hunt and they want to get a screenshot of their location, they can send it to us on social media and that helps us build up intelligence and just help us have a better idea of what the hunt are doing. So yeah, if, any intelligence that people can send does help. Yeah, if you have any information, contact us on social media. And if you're worried about security, contact us saying that you would like to talk further and we will sort out a more secure way to, to talk to you. Or we're trying to fundraise for our own vehicle. Um, this will just make it easier for us to cover more um, area be able to get out to the hunts that are like more local and maybe we can go off and join other groups and go out on our own without need for you know going out with other groups and being in their vehicles um yeah so you can support directly via our fundraiser which is chuffed.org forward slash project forward slash rhs dash vehicle um but obviously we are on social media as well so if you look for reading sabs or reading hunt sabs on facebook and Instagram, um, we will come up and we will have the link available there as well. We do also do like quite a few uh, stalls throughout the year, mostly in the summer because we're not sabbing usually during the summer, um, where we'll be selling like merch and um, bits and bobs. So that always helps. We do sell merch over Facebook as well. So if you do message us and ask, like we can send stuff out to people as well. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if there's anyone out there that 
does hold events or wants to do anything, like hit us up and yeah, we, maybe we can do something together. Thank you so much Thank for you. all of your time. I don't know where the time is. And, no. and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank, Thank you. you.